In the name of our loving, liberating, and life-giving God. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Our first reading today comes from the book of Genesis. It is a part of the Joseph Saga. Uh, it's, the Joseph Saga is this kind of short novella within the book of Genesis. It takes up a little bit more than a quarter of the entire book. It's the longest story in there. And you may remember the Joseph story from maybe that musical a few decades ago, Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. It is the story of Joseph, the great-grandson of Sarah and Abraham, the grandson of Isaac and Rebekah, the son of Rachel and Jacob. And Joseph is by far Jacob's favorite son. Now, all the parents here know it's a terrible idea to have favorites. And the story of Joseph is a good example of why that is the case. It creates a lot of animosity among the brothers. Jacob makes it clear that Joseph is the favorite in many ways. One is that amazing Technicolor dream coat. Uh, or sometimes it gets translated as a coat with very long sleeves or an ornamental robe. Basically, it's a fancy outfit that Jacob only gives one of the sons and not the others. And there's other ways that Jacob favors Joseph. For instance, Joseph does not have to work as hard as his brothers. He gets to stay near dad while the other boys have to go out into the field to work. And kind of the main task, the only job we ever know Joseph does, is sometimes his dad sends him out to go find out what the other brothers are up to. It's kind of a tattletale. So that also does not endear him to his brothers. Along with all that, Joseph has a really big ego, which might come from being the favorite. It might come from other reasons. But he thinks he's the center of the world, and he has these dreams in which all of his brothers are bowing down to him. And when he has that dream, he goes and he tells all his brothers all about it. How do you think that goes over? One version of the dream, the entire family is bowing down to him. That really upsets the brothers. So one day, they decide to kill him. At the last minute, they change their mind, and Joseph simply gets sold off into slavery. And uh, the brothers take that coat of many colors, and they rip it up, and they take some animal blood, and they put it all over it, and they take it to their dad and say, look, your, your son Joseph, he was killed by a wild animal. And this just breaks Jacob's heart. So Joseph goes off to Egypt. Now, in order to keep this sermon not too long, um, we're going to skip some details here and just know that Joseph is falsely accused of a crime, and he goes to prison. And from there, through a whole series of twists and turns, he becomes second in charge of the entire country. The way that happens is he is really good at interpreting dreams. Or as he likes to put it, God gives the interpretation, God tells me and I tell you. And when he's in prison, uh, he... Uh, interprets the dreams of a couple of Pharaoh's employees who were put into prison, or former employees who are now put into prison. And he interprets that one of them, the dreams suggest that one of them is going to be killed and the other is going to be spared and will return to his position at the palace. And this is what comes to pass. Several years later, Pharaoh has some dreams that are very much disturbing him. And he asks his advisors, what do these dreams mean? And none of them know. He says, well, go find anyone in the country. Go ask all the wise folks around. And they ask all of them. And none of them can say what this dream's about. And finally, that one guy in the palace who was in prison, who had met Joseph, said, I know somebody 
who might be able to help. So they go and then they get Joseph, and Joseph correctly interprets the dream. Seven years of plenty are coming, followed by seven years of famine, and you need to collect everything extra you can during that plenty so that you have enough to get through the famine. And Pharaoh is so impressed by this, he says, you are in charge of this task. You are second in charge of the entire country in order to do this task, second only to me. And so it comes to pass. They start having years of plenty. And Joseph starts collecting extra grain. And then when the years are over, he starts giving it back to the people. And there is so much that they can actually give it to people in other countries who are also experiencing the famine. The famine reaches Jacob and Joseph's brothers. And they're running out of food. And they hear word that in Egypt they will sell you grain. And so Jacob sends almost all of his sons. He keeps one back. Turns out he's a second favorite. Uh, he keeps one back and sends them off to go buy the grain. And again, to keep this sermon not too long, there's a whole series of exciting twists and turns that are Joseph's revenge story. Um, but right before kind of the end of that revenge story, he changes his mind and he decides to forgive his brothers. His brothers, of course, do not recognize him, um, but Joseph recognized them. And he says, I am Joseph, whom you sold into slavery. How is dad? All kinds of weeping, and this is just this wonderful moment. They go and get dad and all their families. They come to Egypt, and they live there on great land. All is well. They're very happy. And then Jacob dies. And that's where our story picks up today. Jacob dies, and the brothers are afraid. They are concerned that the only reason that Joseph did not fulfill that revenge fantasy was because of their dad. And now that dad is gone, there's nothing to get in the way of Joseph getting his punishment on them. So they go to Joseph and they beg him to spare them. They say, you know, dad wouldn't like this. He's still trying to bring dad in. Dad's gone, but they still keep trying to bring dad in to protect them. Dad wouldn't like this. And Joseph says, do not be afraid. What you intended for evil, God intended for good. All is well. It's a beautiful story of reconciliation. It is also a story of a clash of two different worldviews or mindsets, imaginations of how this world should operate. One mindset is the mindset of these brothers who are afraid. It is that mindset of punishment, of revenge, of vengeance, an eye for an eye justice. They know they did wrong, and they know they haven't been properly punished for it. And they are afraid of what that punishment is going to look like. And that is their view of how things are probably going to go. The other mindset is the mindset that Joseph has here in our reading today, which is that imagination of forgiveness, of mercy, of grace, of reconciliation. Now, I think this mindset is probably where most of the world is. Probably most of us kind of feel deep down inside of us this way too a lot of the time. That feeling bubbles up inside of us of wanting some kind of punishment or revenge. And this way, I think is the way of God. 
We hear that in our psalm today. These beautiful words. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor reward us according to our wickedness. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our sins from us. This is God's dream for the world. A dream of grace and mercy. A dream that looks to the future and sees us reconciled to each other and to God. These are these two worldviews. Joseph's over here. I don't think Joseph's always been over here. I think when he was having those revenge fantasies and he was doing some twists and turns there with his brothers, I think he was over here. But somehow he eventually ends up over here where God wants us to be. I think there's a way to read the book of Genesis as being this whole journey. We have here at the end this reconciliation, but before that there was that rupture. So we have that rupture and that reconciliation. But this isn't the only time this comes up in the book of Genesis. Before this, Jacob and Esau, Joseph's uncle Esau, they had a great rupture and reconciliation, if you remember that story. Before that, Abraham and Isaac and I'd also argue Abraham and Sarah have a rupture in that binding of Isaac story. I'm not sure there really was much reconciliation there after that. You notice in that story, they go up the mountain together, but they do not come down the mountain together. I'm not sure how much reconciliation is there. Before that, in that kind of what we might call prehistory, you know, the story of Babel, the story of the flood, the story of the garden, there's a lot of rupture, not really much reconciliation. I mean, you do have the rainbow with the flood story, but that's kind of the only little reconciliation moment we have there. It's mostly stories of rupture and more rupture, and then we start getting some reconciliation, and the whole book ends in this reconciliation. This is the journey of faith to move from that place that is so natural for us to try and move to that place of grace and mercy that God desires for this world. We see Jesus talking about this way in the gospel. He's been talking about this in the gospel the past few weeks and all of his stories about forgiveness and the need to forgive. We've been hearing Paul talk about it in his uh, epistle to the Romans, there was that great point a few weeks ago where he said, do not return evil for evil, but return good for evil. That would be like pouring burning coals on their head if you did that. It's all about trying to move to that place of grace, of mercy, of forgiveness, that dream that God has for this world. My friends in Christ, I encourage you to try and walk this journey. When you feel that sense bubbling up inside of you, seeking revenge and vengeance and punishment, try and look towards that kingdom of God, that kingdom of grace and mercy. It is not going to be easy. It is not easy, but try and move in that direction. You've heard me say many times from up here that the central message of the gospel is love. Well, reconciliation, forgiveness, grace, mercy, these are all manifestations, embodiments of that very love. And so try Try and try again. 
to walk towards that kingdom, that dream, or try and walk along the way of love. Amen.